Hello and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we talk about the strange, the bizarre, and the gelatinous movies of the VHS era. Tonight we're talking about what is one of the holy trinity of 80s remakes, and uh, I think one of the most entertaining movies of the 80s, and that is 1988's version of The Blob directed by Chuck Russell of Nightmare on Elm Street 3 fame. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, we cover many different genres on our show, like demonic possession, slashers, monster films, cannibal zombie fusion, even more demonic possession, and of course, childhood trauma, because doing this show has taught me that that is certainly a genre. But despite the diversity in this large, colorful pool of possibilities, they all have one thing in common, the subversion of expectations. Well, at least from the mindset of like a Western Eurocentric capitalist society, right? Whether it's the overly aggressive feminism of faster pussycat kill kill, the ancestral taboos of Janie, the defiance to corporate and government interests in the being, or the scathing critique of religion and a la carta, everything we cover in one way or another seeks to challenge some standard of societal norms. We're not all about just covering offensive sleeves, although that's what it seems like on the surface. It just typically is part of the package. And all regular five listeners may be wondering what could be so subversive about a mainstream 80s horror remake. And to that, we introduce this film as a challenger to the most sacred pillar of not only Western civilization, but possibly all civilization, nostalgia. As of this broadcast, you can find 1958's The Blob basically anywhere to prepare yourself for the remake. There's an HD remaster on YouTube to get you started. Then, as of this broadcast, you can find 1988's The Blob for rent on Amazon or for the low, low price of free on archive.org. Luke, before we started recording this episode, you mentioned that this film is quite possibly better than The Thing in your eyes. Did a rewatch bolster that opinion? I don't think it's better than The Thing. I just think it's on par with The Thing. Um, I, and and if I had to sit down and watch one of them tomorrow, I'd rather watch The Blob. Wow. Yeah. I So I was uh, very skeptical when you made that claim because I had not seen this before. But now after watching it, I agree. I think this is actually on par with The Thing, but for different reasons. They're, oh, yeah. It's a totally different kind of movie. Well, except for like special effects, right? They're both yeah. in that amazing golden age of 80s special effects. Yeah, th but this is a totally different kind of movie. Uh, it, you can't go in expecting any of the seriousness of The Thing. But yeah, I, th I think this movie is 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 great in a sort of you know, like a popcorn movie way. Um, and the special effects are incredible. And, uh, and I also liked the way, I, I mean, you brought up like subversion of expectations. I, I like the way this subverts expectations and, um, 
literally, I, I mean, like I said last week, this movie for like a mainstream film is pretty brutal. Yes, and which is uh, strange because of all the things we have ever covered on this show, I think this is the only one you would probably be comfortable watching with your entire family. Yeah, um, but I don't think I'd show this to like my grandma. No, maybe not Nana, but you know, you would you probably wouldn't be too uncomfortable leaving this on with your parents in the same living room. No, and I mean that might say something about our society and culture that it's easier to watch someone's skin being disintegrated than it is to watch like sex and nudity, but um it is what it is. Uh we have movies like this to thank for I think attempting to change things. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about some of the, the making of here. The screenplay uh, is by Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont. Um, are you familiar with either of them? No, I am not. So Chuck Russell um, also directed this movie. And he went, uh, before this, he directed Nightmare on Elm Street 3, which I think is one of the best of those movies. Um, after this, I think his career steadily declined. Uh, he directed The Mask with Jim Carrey. He directed Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Bless the Child, The Scorpion King, and I Am Wrath. I have no idea what that last one be, but I can tell you the rest of them probably made money in the theaters, right? They were probably all blockbusters. Yeah, I, maybe not like Bless the Child. I'm not sure, but... Yeah, it, most of these definitely made money. I, I don't know if I'd, I'd think I'd say they were good, though. Well, the Scorpion King, definitely not. That that has been critically panned by everybody. Yeah, I, I, I saw it when it first came out, and I don't remember it remotely. Except for the rock's appearance on top of some janky CGI scorpion legs. That was The Mummy 2. Oh, okay. What's the... Isn't the Scorpion King like the same thing? It was a spinoff of the Mummy films that doubled as a universe building prequel to how the Scorpion King rose to power in ancient times or whenever the fuck he was prevalent. And I right. think the original intent was to build up his reputation into a series of movies to like complete the Mummy universe. But the first one was so poorly received that they dropped the idea. Yeah, I, I did not see that one then. I, I I think I stopped after the second Mummy movie. Uh, yeah, that's the best place to stop. D definitely do not watch the third one. Which is a shame, because I think the first one's pretty entertaining. Yeah, you know, that's completely fine. Just watch the first, the second, and that was it. That's the end of the series. It wraps up nicely. It's not like the, show, the, the movie ends on a cliffhanger or anything. Yeah. So his co-writer was Frank Darabont, who's probably best known for writing The Shawshank Redemption. Um, also wrote The Green Mile, The Mist, Some of The Walking Dead. I think he's best known for like doing Stephen King adaptations. What a reputation to have. Yeah. I mean, he's a good writer. I, I This is... Uh, the, the dialogue here is pretty standard, like 80s horror action comedy you know, pulp nonsense, but um, I like him. I like his plotting and everything. If you're okay with Hollywood sap, then 
he's your guy. So if you couldn't, uh, if you if you couldn't tell from the intro, although this is a remake, it does take a lot of extra liberties with the source material. The plot is almost completely rewritten. The characters the same, but expanded <laughs> greatly from their original capacities. This is a film that was trying to capitalize on the reputation of the original blob. But when it came out, it was critically panned because it was seen as being too far from the source material. I, I mean, I think that's part of the purpose, honestly. Like, there are certain creative choices in this movie, which we'll get to, that I believe are essentially there to be, like, punk and anti-establishment. And it, to, like, totally contradict the ethos of the original movie. Right. And you don't have to take our word for it, because from what is publicly available, this film only made about eight million in the box office. Yeah, it was it was a flop. Yeah, I think the special effects alone probably cost eight million. Yeah, it, it it's known as a flop. And I wonder if it's because something else was released around the same time that would have stole attention from it. Or maybe people were just burnt out on horror movies by the end of the 80s. I don't know. I, I really think it was the fact that this remake, this script was so radical compared to the first one. Like they offered Steve McQueen, the star of the original Blob, to come back for a cameo. And he read the script and turned it down because he thought it was awful. Yeah, but I can't imagine like word of mouth it preventing horror fans from going to see a somewhat subversive movie. Like, I don't know. I, I would think that people would have gone out to see this, but maybe there was something else they were going to see instead. I, I, I don't know. I didn't look at like what weekend this came out in or anything. Let's talk briefly about the some of the actors and, and then let's um, play the trailer. Our main female heroine is played by Shawnee Smith. Um, what do you think of her? I think the same of her as I think of just about everyone in this film. They were like the perfect textbook cardboard cutout character that you expect in like your traditional like rank and file 80s horror film. Yeah, there the characters here are very archetypal. Um but I think she's really good. I like her performance, and I, I didn't really know that much about her, but uh, I looked her up, and she's been in two different bands, and I don't remember the names of them. One is a one is a punk band, and one is a country band. But I listened to some of their songs, and they're pretty good. Like Wait, she's every, pre she's a pretty good singer. Every, every I think every single actor in this film absolutely performs to the best of of what that role needs. Like, she is really good at being afraid, screaming unnecessary, but also being strong as needed near the end of the film. It, it all works out really well. Uh, yeah, I think she's awesome. And uh, then our other main character is played by Kevin Dillon, who is the less famous uh, brother of Matt Dillon. I don't think I've seen Kevin Dillon in anything else aside from this. 
I know he has been in other things, but have I seen them? Don't know. He was in he was in Platoon. Oh, well, I've seen that. Yeah. I, I I've seen it too, but I don't remember him in it. I mean, realistically, we have probably seen this guy in a lot of stuff, and because he just like looks like everyday white guy, I don't think we're gonna be able to pick out exactly I, I mean he's he's very obviously a Dylan. He looks a lot like Matt. Uh, he was the main character of Remote Control. That's kind of a fun 80s movie um, about a, about VCRs programming people to kill. I have not seen that. I, I just saw it recently for the first time. I wouldn't say you should like go seek it out, but it's entertaining. All right. Anyway, yeah, so those are our main two characters. Um, but like you said, I, I think everyone in this movie does a great job. One other thing I wanted to ask about is... In this movie, we have a like a diner slash bar owner, and she's kind of interested in the town sheriff. Did this relationship remind you of anything? So we watched The Being, and I very specifically remember you saying that they probably lifted this relationship straight out of the blob. So then naturally, I thought that this was going to be a major pillar of character development throughout the film. So imagine my surprise when these characters barely have 20 minutes of screen time. I, I It is exactly like the relationship in the being though, right? I guess, but I don't think that's that distinctive. Like, I, I think this is the exact same thing I said on that episode, but it's not unusual to have people who work in night, per, like night shift professions to be romantically involved with each other because that is the perfect time to meet both on duty at night when like everyone else is basically asleep. And then you can actually spend your off time together during the day when everyone else is working. It's just, that's what happens. Yeah, but it's not just that they're night owls. It's that like they're they're just he he starts the movie by asking her out and then the there's some emergency that happens while he's at the police station and he rushes to go check on her and see if she's okay at the diner like it's the exact same thing that happens in the being granted the being was made in 1981 so this would have to be ripping that movie off (laughs) well (laughs) no no i do not think that this is necessarily a a ripoff because this is something that definitely occurs in real life all the time among law enforcement and waitresses and emergency medical technicians and just all sorts of um, job positions that require you to be awake at ungodly night owl hours. All right. Well, I just think there's uh, I think there's too much coincidence there, but. Who knows? Frank Darabont, I don't think, is going to come out and say, like, yeah, all the Oscars that I've won for my screenplays, like, it's all thanks to Jackie Kong's influence. I don't foresee that happening. So That would be a great acceptance speech, right? I'd yeah. just like to say thank you to Jackie Kong, and then everyone else is like, who? <laughs> it, yeah, I, I, I guess we'll never know. All right, let's play the trailer, and we're not exactly going to do a run-through this time um, because I think most people have seen this, uh, but we'll probably work our way through most of the plot.
if it had a mind, you could reason with it. If it had a body, you could shoot it. If it had a heart, you could kill it. Now, man is no longer the supreme being on this planet. The organism is growing at a geometric rate. By all accounts, it's at least a thousand times its original mass. Nobody believes me about what happened tonight. What did happen? You were there, you saw. Plasmic life form that hunts its prey. Predator. I want that organism alive. I think you ticked it off. So let's start with what I think is the most obvious feature of this movie, which is just the effects, the practical effects. And I know we just talked about how good they were, but were you surprised by just how great this looks? Yes, absolutely. And you can tell that they used so many different techniques across all the different scenes to achieve what they needed to, like reverse footage, stop motion, a green screen uh from what i understand the blob in this film was mostly constructed from like like a food thickening agent Mm -hmm. when they needed it to you know drip and spill from like uh containers or like vents i was not expecting this blob to have uh grabby tentacles yeah (laughs) Well, it can fit itself into whatever shape it wants, right? Yeah, but I watched the original probably a week before this one. And the the original, you need to understand that the blob is essentially a rolling sentient ball of smuckers. (laughs) Yeah. That is all it be. Yep. And it just kills people by rolling them over and surrounding them. And eventually disappearing them from camera with no blood, no guts, no gore. In this film, the blob is more like a inside-out stomach that, that can grab you from across the room. And then disintegrate you. And it's not vertically challenged either. It can go nope. walls, ceilings. Like, they really went all out with trying to to revamp what kind of a, a a threat this thing could be. I, I mean, I also think like upon first glance, if someone were to tell me like, I'm going to remake this movie about uh, a ball of jello that comes from space and like rolls over people and I'm going to do it in the eighties, I'd be like, well, fuck, that sounds really stupid. <laughs> so how, how do you make it scary? Right? Well, you make it into this, horribly painful looking acidic mass that can literally conform to any shape and get anywhere like if you lock the door it's going to come up the drain if you like it can travel around town via the sewers like it's the 
it's the ultimate monster in some ways. I didn't, again, I had no expectations going into this. I knew it was a remake, but somehow it just didn't occur to me that they were going to turn this thing into a super predator. That's what it is. It's like an urban super predator. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the various death scenes because I, I think that's where the effects really shine. So the first the first person who gets killed by the blob is the old man who's like an alcoholic bum who discovers it. And this is pretty much the same character from the original, right? Uh the original guy who finds it in the blob isn't homeless he's just like some recluse who lives out in a shack in the woods and ah uh, yeah characterization he gets he has a dog yeah i remember that now um it's been a long time since i saw the the original by the way but um yeah so it, this guy starts by getting it on his hand after it comes out of the meteor and uh takes a while for the blob to develop enough to like devour him but by time he's in a hospital bed and they pull the blanket that's covering him over, most of his body is like dissolved. Yeah, and only half of him is dissolved. So it didn't finish him completely. This is already a radical departure from the original where it would just basically make you disappear. You're just removed from the script if this thing touched you. And well, I think, I think it would. <laughs> you, you get turned into a war crime. Yeah, I think the implication is it would have finished devouring him if it wasn't interrupted. But I don't know. I mean, we see it like moving underneath the skin of his face and like bubbling around. Like it's clear they put like bladders in his skin that they could pump up. But it it looks super impressive. I mean, besides the thing, can you think of any film that like compares to this in terms of gory sci-fi special effects? I don't even think the fly goes this far. No, no, the fly doesn't because I can't think of any. I, I hold this movie and the thing up as like the best examples of special effects I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm thinking hard and I can't I nothing's coming to mind as far as this like 80s and even early 90s horror for these kinds of special effects. Yeah, I, I just there there's really nothing. And again, this is a film that has almost no downtime. Something is happening almost every scene in this film. You know, the number of effects scenes in this movie is like staggering. I think this movie's just entertaining to watch. It's entertaining to watch just to see what they do with the special effects. This is one of those films where a lot of people upload montages of horror movie death scenes specifically like from this title. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. So anyway, soon after our bum character dies, the blob climbs up on a ceiling and it drops down onto who is up till that point our main character, Paul. This is like the town football hero who's going out with Shawnee Smith's character. So first of all, this scene looks spectacular. Like, the blob just slowly dissolves him and uh, pulls his face backwards and we see his skin melting away. Like, what do you think of this effect? From what I understand, they achieved this effect by actually draping some sort of like uh, like blob blanket over him 
and he described it in an interview as uh, similar to being waterboarded. I, I would imagine, yeah, they'd have to make like multiple molds of his skin. So his discomfort in this scene is very real. Like he's actually getting smothered by an extraterrestrial. And and I imagine like this looks painful, right? Like I imagine this thing killing you. Like the old man had to suffer for a long time as it gradually killed him. At least Paul dies relatively quickly, but it does not look like a uh, comforting death. This is one of those things where uh, you die from suffocation before anything else, despite the fact that it's dissolving you, burning you, uh, crushing you. You still die from uh, suffocation first. It's like when um, when you read about people getting killed by uh, like army ants in Africa, right, where they fall into one of those uh, like pits, one of those giant mega hives. And even though they're all stinging and biting you at the same time, you always die from suffocation first. Yeah, but wouldn't you still like, wouldn't you feel the sensation of this acid all over your body? Yeah, but it's not enough to kill you. That's just surface damage. Oh, no, but I'm saying that would be painful to go through. Oh, yeah, no, horrible. These people are getting digested alive. It's It's a stomach. It's rolling around. And when... In this scene specifically, when when Shawnee's character, uh, Meg, when Meg comes into this room to see him, she was not told what would be behind the door when she opened it. Yeah, so I've heard this. She was absolutely, legitimately, like, terrified and shocked at what was before her because it's her co-star getting suffocated by <laughs> sci-fi movie special effects. Also, like, you know, to some degree, she's actually seeing this. And I think that makes her performance much more effective. Whereas if this movie were made now, she'd just be staring at nothing. Right? Because they'd just put the blob in after the fact with CGI. And there's no way you can act as effectively if there's nothing visually frightening you. No, and that's a debate that's been going on for a while since the, the Lord of the Rings where like every and Star Wars where everyone's just acting in front of green screens and that's why it seems so wooden. Yeah. You know they're uh trying to do another remake of this film, right? No, but that makes sense. I hadn't heard that. Who's I, involved? I can't remember. But it was two guys that bought the rights to the film so they could make a remake. But then COVID-19 stopped the filming process and the rights expired. But now it's gone to court with the people who bought the rights arguing that COVID is like exigent circumstances, which should extend the permission to use the copyright in order to make the film. But I don't think it's going to be anything like this. It's going to be like what you're talking about. Shit ton of CGI and green screens and acting at nothing. I mean, I, I didn't see the um, the most recent version of the thing, but that's how I assumed it was. That's why I never saw it. I saw that in theaters, and it was very generic, like early 2000s CGI for all the monsters, and it was such a letdown. But then years later, I read 
that the reason that those effects were in the film was because the producers saw all of the actual practical effects that they put into the film and thought it didn't look good enough in HD and thus forced the director to put in CGI over it. Huh, that's a real shame. It is in my like darkest dreams that maybe one day the original cut will be released with all the practical effects still in. Can can you think of any directors working today that you would actually trust with a blob remake? What about the guy that directed Dune? Can you imagine his like epic take on the blob? Uh, uh, see, like <laughs> So that's Denis Villeneuve and I I'm sure like if if he directed one, I would be first in line to see it. Like I want to see what the fuck this guy's doing with this story. But that's not who I would want to do it because he's not going to make he's not going to make a fun movie. His blob is going to be like an his blob is going to be metaphorical, right? It's going to be it's going to be like existential doubts. It, it digests your soul instead of your body. Right. Yeah. I I think I think Sam Raimi or Peter Jackson could do it and that would be it. Oh yeah, Sam Raimi. Because if you think of a film like Drag Me to Hell, like he's capturing the the gore effects and the combination of comedy and horror that actually works. And, and it, there's just no one else out there aside from those two who have a mastery of practical effects. Okay, so before we continue this part of the, of the discussion, we have to talk about the very big thematrical differences between the original and the remake. And yeah, I was going to ask you, like, what were what was your initial thought when Paul was killed so early in the movie? So, again, I had no idea what I was walking into. But as soon as he started to, like, look up at the ceiling as it, like, you know, was getting ready to pounce, I was like, it became very apparent to me that they were going to kill this guy. And I was just like, wow, I don't I definitely don't know where the fuck this is going anymore. And I can see why this would upset people at the time, because although this this concept of killing main characters is popular now, it wasn't so much a thing in the late 80s, early 90s. In fact, another movie I can think of that takes advantage of this sort of um, plot device is Terminal Velocity. At least I think that's the name of the film. It is a, a Steven Seagal action film. I think it was... Uh, what he did after under siege back when he was actually famous um where his character is touted in the trailer and the plot as being like the leader of the military team that's supposed to defeat the bad guys and then they kill him off in like 20 minutes so it's supposed to set the audience up for you know the gloves are off fucking anything can happen at this point and I mean, I think Psycho was the first film to really do this, right? But in The Blob, we have the added expectation of we think it's going to adhere to the original storyline where the Paul character or the equivalent of the Paul character like, is our protagonist throughout the movie. But I think you're right that as soon as he dies, you know the gloves are off and literally anything can happen in this movie. And they don't spare anybody in this fucking movie like kids animals they're all fair game yeah that's why i say this has a body count this movie is brutal as fuck because 
there are no sacred cows. It, I mean, it literally kills children. Like the first movie, you, you talk about sacred cows, you know, takes place in like 1950s, small, every town USA, where everyone knows each other. It's basically like if you've ever seen the Andy Griffith show, or if you know that shit, it's the same thing. You know, small time sheriff, small time diner. People have like grown up, you know, picked up careers, businesses and died in this town for like generations and nothing has changed. It's just full of good old, you know, maple syrup, pancakes, American breakfast, American values, right? Like the, the stuff that keeps getting put in all the propaganda from like World War II about what we need to defend from fascism. Like that's this whole thing. And you know, watching it, that the main character is going to be invincible because he's like Johnny every guy from America. He's like, uh, I don't even think he's a football player, but he's got that like confident, young, teenage American personality that's played by an adult. And then he has this like wholesome girlfriend and they don't do anything evil. They probably go to church every Sunday. You know, nothing's going to happen to them. Right. This The remake says fuck all of that. Yep. Even the town seems bigger. I think it's like more of a small city than like a than a town. Yeah, I mean, it's still got that small town feel to me where like a lot of characters seem to know one another. Like the scene where they're in the pharmacy and they run into the priest who knows them. And then the pharmacist ends up being the girlfriend's dad. And like everyone's interconnected. Right. And, and that's what leads me to feel like it's it's still a small town thing. What do you think of that scene, by the way, the whole mix up with the condom buying? As soon as that scene finished, I was thinking that scene was so strange. I wonder if it was like inspired by like a real event. And and sure enough, I think one of the screenwriters said they had something similar happen to them. At, I, when I they think, were growing up. I think the humor actually works in this movie. Like, I think stuff like this is actually funny. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's dated. Uh, this This film is actually surprisingly modern. Yeah, it's very, I mean, maybe it was ahead of its time. Because remember, the thing, like John Carpenter's The Thing, the 80s version, that bombed too. Did it? Yeah, that was a box office disaster. Well, I mean, I think we're starting to see why not many of these films came out then. Yeah, because I, I mean, that movie and, and this one to a lesser extent are like, I mean, they're popcorn movies they're very entertaining and action-packed but they're also very dark and depressing and brutal you know they're it's not like uh your typical movie where the good guys win well i mean the good guys do win in this one sorry spoilers but i suppose well, it's a bit of a pyrrhic victory right because a lot of the town is kind of left in shambles by the end i know i mean so spoilers but um, a lot of the main characters we start to get attached to are dispensed pretty quickly, like Fran, the del the diner owner, and the sheriff. Both of them are wiped out. What thirty minute mark? Forty? Yeah, that's about. That sounds about right. So let's talk about their deaths. The diner owner is in a phone booth trying to call the sheriff, and then she sees his face float by as the blob envelops the phone booth. I did not expect them to kill this sheriff off camera. This dude, is, again, is propped up as being a major 
obstacle for the between the blob and the city and the blob just rolls him over off camera so unceremonious a death yeah but see they have to do that for this shock moment where his face floats by oh i loved it i don't think they needed that that was the perfect way to do it i just was not expecting it yeah speaking about the sheriff this is a tangent but i've always found it really dumb that so many people like the parents and the deputy all think that kevin dylan's character like killed the old man somehow or killed paul like they were dissolved what do they think he did well so i don't know how much of the old man was left behind but the only thing left behind from the football player was a hand so i don't yeah. know what they thought happened yeah and i i did think that was a little odd but i was willing to go along with it for the sake of the narrative and it i think it pans out just great yeah there's there's nothing that like holds me up i just think it's silly and to some degree this movie should be silly right it's about a giant blob <laughs> and like there's got to be some silliness inherent in this concept there are there are two main law enforcement characters we got the sheriff and then we got yeah sheriff herb and then we got deputy briggs and in the blob the original they kind of play this good cop bad cop setup where obviously sheriff herb is uh like a very understanding guy you know he's trying to reach out and like you know wow you know you're telling me a crazy story here about some jelly eating people but you know maybe he's not quite telling the truth but something's obviously wrong here let's just see let's just follow him and see him see where it goes while the deputy's just like you know these kids are nothing but trouble throw them in jail and so what happens in the original the sheriff is is basically vindicated for believing the the honest good working christ fearing american who did his duty and reported to law enforcement that trouble was happening in the town and the the deputy is just kind of like uh you know pushed to the side this movie complete opposite the the deputy in the end of this film uh kind of reaches like a redemption arc before he is also brutally murdered <laughs> yep but back to fran in the phone booth when the blob eventually just like crushes the phone booth in on her and her body just like i don't know how to describe what her body does it just like collapses and bends around it it looks really brutal and also really cool yes this scene is amazing uh can you imagine that well first off when you actually see the the end result you can tell that it's a mannequin that are like a doll of some kind inside a phone booth. But what's not readily apparent is that that whole scene was shot within a uh, a like replica, like four foot tall phone booth. So yeah, it, specific model setup for that single like five second scene. And it was an amazing payoff. It's almost like the pressure of the blob crushing the booth is what killed her before it even like poured into the it, into the the cavity of the phone booth right the cabin yeah that's what it looks like it looks like she just gets crushed but yeah it's it's really cool this whole scene is is really awesome by the way as you were mentioning the law enforcement i was just gonna say i'm pretty sure that um, the detective's name 
or the sheriff's name Briggs is a reference to Joe Bob Briggs. And because uh, Joe Bob would have already been a thing at this time. And I think that our main character, the Kevin Dillon character, his last name is Flag, which I'm pretty sure is a reference to Cash Flag, who's also known as Ray Dennis Steckler. And he's known as like one of the worst directors of all time. Uh, he, he has those awful movie titles. Like he did the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. He did um, Rat Fink a Boo Boo. He made some really terrible movies. Sorry, you said Rat Fink a Boo Boo. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. No, I just I just want to make sure I heard that right. Yeah, there's a story there, but I won't go into it. Um, another one, another one of his titles that I like is the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher. Anyway, so I, I'm I uh, he did the. Um, the Lemon Grove kids meet the monsters. I think I, I get the picture. Yeah. So I, I'm pretty sure those are references. I, I just thought about it when you said, um, y- you know, share flag. But what what are the other um, or you know what? We skipped it. But the scene where the the blob comes out of the drain and and kills the chef and like sucks him down the drain. I what do you think of this one? I think this is my favorite of the entire film. I think so too. It's kind of like the thing. Like there's a part in the thing where the the monster lifts up somebody specifically by their head and holds them like completely upside down. Yeah. And it's really similar to that scene before it eventually drags his entire body into the sink drain. The physics don't make sense at all on any level. And it isn't consistent with anything else the blob has been doing throughout the entire film. But it doesn't matter because the visual effect is so well done. And when it drags him into the, the actual drain pipe and it explodes from the, the from like the pressure of the blood <laughs> all over the floor. I, oh, yeah. Every single one of these deaths is like something... I do not want to go through ever like obviously knowing really gets to pick how they die unless you're in like an assisted suicide state or whatever, but you do not want to go out like this. Every single scene I have, I found myself saying, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want that. This is one of the few, the few like monsters in, in like a, in like a monster film where I think like, don't let it touch you because you just die. <laughs> yeah, like, there's no getting away. There's like nothing. You, you can't even touch it. It's not like a slasher film where you can push somebody down or hit them with a piece of wood or something. Like you don't even get that. No, I mean, even if you get a small bit of it on you, it'll just grow until you dissolve. Just like with the with the old man. You know, I feel like a remake would probably focus more on that aspect of it like replicating itself. I think if they had made a sequel, it would have as well. I, there's like sequels to the original. I've never seen them, but... I saw Son of the Blob, but I was like a teenager. I don't remember it. Uh, but this one obviously sets you up for a sequel. But we didn't get one because it bombed. But I will say... All right, so this is, this is I think, one of the coolest kills in the movie. But the most disgusting scene in the movie to me 
is when he first reaches his hand down the garbage disposal. I have some kind of thing with drains and like standing water. This horrifies me. I had to look away. This is still a cleaner sink than the one in the video dead. Yeah, but it, it that too. In any of these scenes. I I you know that show My Strange Addiction? Yes. I saw one once about a guy who was addicted to playing with shower drain hair. And like when he went over to friends' houses, he would ask to use their bathroom, but then he'd get in their tub and reach into their drain and play with the shower hair. And <laughs> that is that lives in my nightmares. Like it was so horrifying to watch. I I think most of those are probably fake, but I, I really appreciate that story. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you see him doing it, so he might have only done it for the episode, but it, it the image is burned in my mind. <laughs> the seed has been planted. <laughs> uh, speaking of violating people's um, autonomy, uh, there's a scene we skipped where the the guy who was really buying the condoms is trying to get this girl drunk in his car and he goes around to the the trunk to make another drink because he has like a whole bar set up back there and then when he sees that she's passed out he just like starts unbuttoning her blouse and like reaching in to grab her boob like this guy's a piece of shit right but but the blob gets him because it's under her blouse yeah th th this is one of the few uh deaths where i was like yeah that guy totally deserves that but yeah it, it like comes out of her body and gets him uh it was it it startles you like i wasn't expecting it the first time i saw it oh i expected it but you know i'm like i'm like a, a very war-hardened wizened horror movie veteran at this point and i think but you watched this for the first time like when uh i was i was probably a I was probably 13 or 14. Yeah. So a little different. Not really a fair comparison. No, this was one of the first R-rated movies I was ever allowed to watch. So, yeah, let's talk about this mini bar in his trunk. Do you think this is a reference to something? Because this is very elaborate. It also doesn't seem very functional, but... No, but I have seen this in other movies from the 80s. I, I can't think of what they are off the top of my head, but this is something I've seen before. Um, I don't know. Maybe this was like a like a low key trend or something. Mini I'm, mini bar I, in your trunk. I mean, as as much as I like eighties movies, I think we all have to acknowledge that when it comes to like gender relations and uh, especially teenagers essentially assaulting one another, like there's some huge problems um, with these films. Well, at least he wasn't drugging her drink. He was drinking the same concentration of red juice that she was. <laughs> I mean, that still doesn't make it fair as like if you're looking at it as a competition of strength or or like endurance. But uh, I don't know. There's that. <laughs> I, I, well, kids who are listening, if your girlfriend passes out, it is never okay to initiate sexual contact. Yeah, drinking is not consent. There you go. Well, now that we got that wholesome message out of the way, 
let's go back to the the theme. So you're talking about this one being thematically different from the first one. In yeah. what other ways do you think this one's like importantly different? Well, I mean, the main character goes from being, you know, the idealized American patriot teenager Christian to Mr. Brian Steel Yo Girl Motorcycle Rebel Extraordinaire, right? He's obviously been to juvie more than once. Law enforcement's familiar with him for all the wrong reasons. And he's the hero in this film because he doesn't trust authority. And without that rebel lifestyle, they would have been dead in the water. Yeah. We haven't gotten into it yet, but... It, it turns out that the blob is not an alien, but it's a germ warfare experiment that's being done by the U.S. military or some secretive government branch. And the government at some point comes out to try to contain it. And, of course, they want to capture it alive. And, um, you know, the town is expendable. And, and there are several moments where Meg would have been Meg would have trusted these guys and, and gotten herself in a bad situation. But yeah, Flag knows better. Brian here does not fall for the very customer service oriented personality of, was it Dr. Meadows? Yeah. So I really like this character. Like yeah. I think, I think the, um, the actor is named Joe Seneca, and I'm not sure what I... I mean, I know I've seen him in other things, but I, I can't pinpoint him. Um, but in this movie, he really does come across as kind of like a pseudo-corrupt government bureaucrat that can speak really well and come across as like really genteel and friendly. But the the moment he thinks no one's listening, like the... Uh, he becomes a clear antagonist. I feel like a lesser movie would have just played this guy out as some sort of like soulless, totally non-overt, like sociopath scientist, right? Or like the government weasel guy in Ghostbusters. Yeah. Like that. But instead, this guy is so friendly and has like, such a nice demeanor that I literally thought I'd seen this guy in other films because he's such a nice guy. And then I looked through his filmography and I'm like, unless I've seen this guy in like a random 90s TV show for one episode when I was like five, I've never seen this man in my life. I mean, he has that, um, he has that same quality that like Bill Cosby had at one point before we like knew all about Bill Cosby's behavior um, in that he, he just makes you feel like you're like he's your dad or your grandpa and like you can trust him. He's got that like fatherly reverend like aura around him, right? Like you could go to confession with this guy. Yeah. So this movie is in line with a lot of other 80s movies and it's clear like anti-government project direction do you think it's odd how hollywood went from being so anti-government in the 70s and 80s to being so pro-government now it's kind of odd i mean like let's face it hollywood is essentially um 
is essentially a propaganda branch for the U.S. government in a way, right? They are creating movies of this American brand, right? The values, the freedoms, the possibilities that can happen here. Like, on one hand, you have capitalism creating massive amounts of wealth at the expense of the working class and like trampling humanitarian rights around the world. But then they're putting out these movies that espouse all these values that are the complete opposite. You know, you know the, the Americans are always the good guys. They're always fighting against the Russians or the fascists leftovers of Nazi Germany. And this movie does have a very strong Cold War-esque narrative, but it's actually not portraying U.S. in a positive light. So you have to think, did somebody approve this film in the government for some reason? Was this supposed to be like, here's the voice of the dissenters of anybody in the American government? Now you can be satisfied that there's criticism of us. And no, so let so let's talk about the cultural context here because I think this makes total sense historically. Okay. So it, this was under the Reagan administration, and the Reagan administration, and in particular Nancy Reagan, like campaigned for family values and you know censoring material that might uh, endanger or corrupt the youth. And this is when the MPAA really started to crack down on horror movies. Like, you know, all during the early 80s, those Friday the 13th movies are like chopped to bits because the MPAA and the, and the government were so censorious. And so... I think in the late 80s, you get a lot of movies like this. I mean, I brought up Ghostbusters, right? That's another one that's clearly anti-government. And I think it was angry liberals, like, striking out against the government, and especially the government's habit of trying to censor them and be um, culturally oppressive. I, I think it fits right in with, with Flag being our hero, the sort of anti-establishment sort like this is this kind of a punk movie never forget that dan Aykroyd got a blowjob from a ghost in ghostbusters i have forgotten that i don't remember that it's in there but but no so i think in the later half of the 80s you get a lot of anti-government movies um there's a lot of movies in the 60s and 70s that are like government conspiracy type movies but not as uh overtly anti-government as these and then i think under george w bush you get a lot of movies that are like anti-government but oh it, like like what like well team america is the is the one that jumps to mind first um just like a lot of hollywood openly mocking the government and uh, in specific the bush administration yeah, but for every Team America, there's like at least three or four Black Hawk Downs. Yeah, but it, also during this time, you get movies like um, like Jughead and um, what was... Good uh, Men is another one. But like the government definitely didn't offer any assistance in them filming those because of their, uh, you know un-american attitudes that they were bringing to the screen 
yeah i mean even a movie like uh what's that what's that um catherine bigelow one that won best picture the hurt locker yeah movies like the hurt locker like that give us military people as our heroes they still also reveal like the horror of war and the folly of the government like i wouldn't say there is i wouldn't say they're patriotic movies yeah it talks about the horrors of war but it doesn't talk about like the systemic issues of how everybody ended up in that situation in the first place it's one thing to say war is bad it's another thing to say you know all the things that got us into war is bad no that's a fair point for that we have team america <laughs> for that we have team america yeah which um there's like this this blob thing that we we're talking about right yeah let's get back to the blob um but the i i do think i i don't think you can fully talk about this movie without talking about the politics so yeah, I, i'm i'm glad we touched on it maybe that was another reason why uh it didn't it got panned a little bit maybe maybe yeah well we, we would just be guessing so there's a there's a whole long sequence of the movie where meg has escaped from the evil government bureaucrat and she is with her little brother and his best friend like running through the sewers being chased by the blob what do you think of this whole part most sewers in in hollywood films look uh well definitely not like real sewers right i don't think there it's very rare to see like an actual sewer in in like a hollywood film right because they're just like not sanitary not not only do you not want your actors in there you don't want to be filming in it right environment um but it has like the uh the iconic almost like underwater city aesthetic where it's okay to go swimming in these pools of water because it's just like a it's not so much a sewer <laughs> as it is like a a park a water treatment part plan or something like you're in the clean part you're in the water reservoir <laughs> right um i thought the underwater effects were really cool yeah and i like how um i like how the blob moves in the water too because you can kind of see it's coming but it can also surprise you and just like shoot its tentacle out at you that is so cheap like like from a strategic standpoint, right? Like, what are you supposed to do against that? No, that's why it's scary. Cause like, you know, it's like Jaws or uh, anything that's under the water and it's dark and you can't see. So you don't know where it is. It's, it's a really suspenseful situation. All right. So you're, you're watching, you're watching Meg trudge through waist height water, dragging two kids with her and they're coming to a ladder. You have to know deep in your heart when you watch this scene for the first time that not everyone is going to make it to that ladder. No, but who do you have to choose from? Our main heroine, main protagonist of the movie, or one of the kids? Well, I didn't think this this choice was going to be very hard because I don't think they're going to kill off Meg just yet. Not like this. And I don't think her brother's going to go down because she needs motivation to get out alive. Well, let's face it. This kid in the yellow jacket's been kind of obnoxious the whole film. Yeah, he's super obnoxious. He wears headphones and listens to his Walkman in the movie theater. How obnoxious is that? 
they basically sneak out at night to watch a rated R slasher film in a theater. Garden Tool Massacre. Garden Tool Massacre. And the like two minute blurb of this film on the screen, I, I felt like was um it was targeted towards us. I mean, it's clearly like Friday the thirteenth. Yeah. We've got a guy in a hockey mask, like threatening some uh, threatening a girl or something. You got uh, a dude and a girl and they're like out on a picnic blanket under the stars. And then there's just some dude with hedge trimmers, like an electric hedge trimmer, like trimming the bushes. And he's like, oh, that's weird. There's a guy over there trimming the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and he has a hockey mask. But wait a minute. It's not hockey season. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you like when movies do a movie within a movie like this? Yeah, I think it's great. Um, um, you know what? The Being had it too. So maybe they ripped that off from The Being as well. I, I mean, I think the best example of that is Demons, the uh, Lamberto Bava movie. Um, I think that's... We almost get like whole second movie in that one. But anyway, so yeah, this this little obnoxious kid's wearing headphones, but he's probably like eight. eight well, to, was eight. He was eight. Yeah, he, he gets devoured. It's It's pretty intense. Um, but we know- so first he gets dragged under the water, right? And you're like, okay, the kid's dead, but you know they didn't show it at least. And then he pops out of the water, half dissolved, trying to escape. <laughs> yep. Like, well, they showed it. I, I got to thinking, how how many other movies can you think of that show a child dying on camera like this? I mean, that's what I was saying. Like, right from the beginning, it establishes that anyone can die in this movie, which is a really, like, threatening idea. Because in most horror movies, like, kids and dogs, at least, are off limits. Oh, and here's the caveat. It has to actually be played by a child actor. Yeah. That's the hard part. I can't think of one off the top of my head. You know, I think of um, Macaulay Culkin in My Girl. (laughs) I don't think I ever saw that. Um he is allergic to bees and dies from anaphylactic shock. Okay. Yeah. So he gets stung by some bees. I mean, you don't see him like swell up and like suffocate on camera, but Hey, you know, the director of the blob would probably show that. Yeah. No, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, at least not in as overt as this movie is. So let's talk about the government strategy for a moment. So apparently the government that created this thing show up under the mistaken impression that shooting it will help. Like they're always shooting guns at it. Well, I mean, they don't know what they're coming up against because yeah. this was originally just supposed to be like a, like a viral agent. They didn't expect it to turn into, you know, crazy dissolving aggressive gack. Right. Yeah, there is a line I really like where Meadows says something like, "We're, you know, we're we're here searching for a, a germ specimen," and Flag says, "Well, if this is a germ, it's the biggest fucking germ I've ever seen." Something, something like that. Um, I like that line a lot. All right, so let's so let's talk about the resolution here. Just like in the original, they figure out that the only way to defeat the blob is to freeze it. And conveniently, the mechanic shop where Flag works 
is repairing a a giant snow machine. Yep. And so this is rather convenient, right? Yeah, but I'm not complaining. Well, they try to freeze it bit by bit, but it's a giant fucking blob that is indestructible. So that's not working. Okay. But eventually compare what? this to the original where in order to take down the threat, they have everybody in the town go get every single fire extinguisher that they can get their hands on, bring it to the, to the diner that the blob is currently enveloping and they all shoot it at once with fire extinguishers to freeze it. Yeah, that, I mean... Is that really worse than what happens in this film? No, by comparison, this makes more sense. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know what, you, what better solution I would come up with, but it's a little silly. But anyway, they finally, they finally freeze it because Meg goes full badass and puts some kind of explosive on it and then shoots the explosive so the whole... Uh, a snow truck explodes and soaks the blob in, I don't know, liquid nitrogen or something. All right. So it's a timed explosive charge that a lot of the, the government bio units have brought with them for whatever reason. She gets on top of the disconnected liquid nitrogen chamber that is, uh, you know, laying on the road while it's starting to crush the truck that's holding Brian. She shoots the blob to get its attention from from the top of this tank. And I sh we should mention that she is a pro at handling these giant guns. I mean, she's a tiny high school girl. Like she never fired a gun before. Yeah, it is a little bit. Uh, is a little bit suspicious. I you mean, guys. You gotta suspend disbelief a little bit. Like she's clearly a badass, and you gotta deal with it. But you know, she's not. It's not like she's going for headshots or anything, right? You know, she just has to hit this giant blob. But she controls the recoil. She doesn't blow her whole magazine in like three seconds. It, no. They're, they're okay. So there's a degree of expertness that's probably not deserved here. But I don't. I don't think it's any crazier than say like some guy getting sucked into Tron World and then knowing how to play competitive like combat frisbee, right? No, th this is some of the fun of the 80s, right? Sometimes entertainment trumps logic, and it's okay. Either way, she gets the blob's attention. It drops off the truck. It starts coming for her. She tries to get off the tank, but then gets tangled in the charge that's hanging off the tank. Brian hops out of the truck, runs around to where she be somehow before the blob gets to her, gets her down from the tank and uh then it, it, the charge explodes when the blob is right on top of the tank and gets uh totally frozen into tiny bite-sized bits very sparkly crystals yeah and then it it's just like kind of like a cloud as well over the air and everyone's like celebrating and running in it and i'm like i don't think you want to breathe that in no oh. um <laughs> but I guess they get it all contained except for the priest, the town priest, who gets like all disfigured in an explosion. He saves a few shards of frozen blob in a little jar. And at the end of the movie, we see that he's having some sort of 
outdoor revival sermon where he's preaching about revelations and the rapture. And this woman asks him, like, when when is the rapture going to come? And he holds up the jar with the with the blob and he says soon that he's just waiting on a sign. What did you think of that as a final scene? So Reverend Meeker is not a character in the original film. But it really feels like the original film is missing a reverend. Yeah, having a town reverend was um was a thing in a lot of these movies. But he starts off as uh you know what you'd expect a little small town reverend to be. You know, we we talked about the the comedy relief scene in the pharmacy where he witnesses the the one teenager buying condoms. And we see him again a couple times in the film where he sees the blob and, uh, you know, exclaims like, you know, oh, my God, or my Lord, or something like that. And he starts eventually sort of like degrading into like a like a primal form of. Of sermonizing, right? Like he goes from what you would expect the small town reverend to be into like a doomsday like prophet even before he's disfigured you can see there's kind of a transformation but the his experience with the blob has changed him and then getting absolutely scarred and maimed by an exploded flamethrower kind of uh pushed him over the edge completely yeah i I, i'll also add i don't know if this was intended or not but this guy looks like he's straight from central casting for like pedophile role right like he looks he looks creepy and sleazy from the very first scene i guess but he he never is sleazy he's just uh you know an an apocalypse preacher yeah not not that we see but i i always had the suspicion that if there had been a sequel it would have delved a lot more into his character we will never know nope Unless uh, Sam Raimi or Peter Jackson heeds my call, a call and makes a sequel. Um, but yeah, I, I really like this as an ending because even if there isn't a sequel, it I like the it's not really cliffhanger, but it's it's not a happy ending either. There's just enough like uneasiness to it that I think it's really effective. I mean, a lot of monster movies have an ending like this, right? You know, we killed the queen alien and then camera pans deep into a sewer cave system where there's like one egg that starts to hatch. Yeah, but th- this movie doesn't just show us that like, oh, they missed a shard of blob in the freezer or something. It gives us this really crazy looking priest character giving apocalyptic sermons and keeping this little bit in a jar in order to herald the end of times. Like, I, there, this is more interesting to me. I guess we can just throw like Christian extremism uh, on the pile of... Uh you know, subverted norms that this movie really puts to the forefront. Sure. So I don't know, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get to final thoughts? So when the government starts eventually chasing the, uh, the, the two, the two main characters, Brian and Meg on the motorcycle, I got mad ET vibes from that. 
Yeah, I mean, when it when that happened, I was just like, yeah, that you know, there had to be a motorcycle chase in this movie. Like that's what it was missing. I turned to my wife and I was like, it's a good thing they had motorcycles. Oh man, yeah, and we didn't talk about it, but there's the scene where uh, Brian drives his motorcycle into the sewer to save Meg, and then he has to do a sick half pipe uh, motorcycle trick around the blob and order. Yeah secure and escape i actually thought this was pretty cool yeah i i you know on paper this sounds like it would be really cheesy but it fits they really made it work they made a lot of shit in this movie work that i don't think was supposed to no it it takes a lot of skill to like pull some of this stuff off and not have it just be absolutely ridiculous so i looked at current review or i looked at past reviews for this film to see why it bombed i haven't looked at anything retrospective but i would put my money on this film being more highly regarded now by a long shot yeah i think it's pretty highly regarded now at least among the horror community and like critics that like horror movies so um, i'm glad i watched it i definitely shouldn't have waited this long but i had no idea because again this film doesn't carry the same reputation as the thing and the fly you hear about those constantly yeah no i i think this deserves uh their company but we're getting into review territory go ahead yeah. and give your final thoughts yeah this is review territory so um i was very pleasantly surprised by this remake um the thing is one of my favorite films of all time not just horror but of you know any film and this film actually comes really close to it, if not on par for, like we said, completely different reasons. Um, I do appreciate the social commentary, the 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 anti-government, anti-trust commentary about how uh, the military views civilians as uh, collateral damage in the wake of deter of developing a weapon that could, you know, stop the terrible the, the the terrible invasion of the russians that you know never happened but you know when you look at movies like red dawn you know obviously that's like some propaganda bullshit right and nothing like that has ever happened or will ever happen in history because those kinds of invasions just don't happen anymore but uh it's just funny to see uh to see the american government demonized in a movie that that's like this both this late and somehow this early in like the golden era of like uh 80s 90s movies there there is a line in that context that i really like where uh meadows says something like this is gonna put us years ahead of the russians and some other guy an assistant says you don't understand at this rate of growth there won't be an america that's from the one guy who didn't want to follow orders, right? Yeah, there's one insubordinate guy. Did he end up surviving to the end of the film? I don't know. I didn't notice. I don't think he was sent into the sewers. I think those were just three three nobodies. Four nobodies? Well, one of those guys is played by Bill Mosley, um, who horror fans certainly know. He plays Chop Top in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and he went on to be in all the the Rob Zombie movies, um, 
So he's kind of a big name in horror, but he just has a kind of cameo here as one of the soldiers in the sewer. But but going back to the film, um, this this movie ruffles everybody's feathers, right? Uh, it it goes against the establishment on so many different topics, but more importantly, as I said, it defiles the nostalgic feeling of the original Blob, and it got so many people, I guess, butthurt over <laughs> completely changing the plot, the tone, the narrative, and everything that the original stood for, except that they both have like a, you know, a homicidal sly monster in them. One is just obviously more dangerous than the other. Even if you ignore all that stuff, though, you still have an amazing late 80s horror film with some of the best practical special effects ever <laughs> in this in this era like Luke and I are struggling to think of other films that have effects like this have any come to mind nope like I'm thinking of like you know dead alive had a lot of gore in it but that was like all obviously fake over exaggerated stuff yeah, I mean, that that movie's visually fun because it doesn't look convincing, because it looks ridiculous. This movie, it, it if there were an acidic blob monster, uh, this movie, I think, looks pretty real. Yeah, I, I mean, if there was actually a giant rolling predatory stomach, this is how it would kill people. And there, the death scenes aren't just all one-dimensional. Like, yeah, there's a ton of people that get dissolved and stuff, but there's a point where the blob gets so big, it just crushes a guy that's running away with a giant tentacle. It just slaps him. It doesn't even eat him. It kills Deputy Briggs by reaching in through a, through a gap in a barrier and pulling him in half. <laughs> yeah. Through the doorway. And we never see him again. Yep. His body just like folds in half. Yep. The wrong way. The way you do not want to fold. So like even like from a like horror aesthetic perspective, like it's really it's just extremely well executed in almost every facet. And and to me, it is absolutely criminal that I haven't seen it before now. This is an easy four stars. Yeah. I mean, this movie, it might seem mainstream or like out of character with the films we typically do. And, and that's what I thought at first. I mainly just wanted to do it so Leland would have to watch it. But you know, it's anti-authoritarian, anti-religion, um, subversive nature, like does put it in good company with the films we typically do. And maybe that's part of why what attracts me to it. I am not a, a defender or liker of remakes for the most part. But if you're going to do a remake like this, where you're basically like holding a middle finger to your source material, I'm all for that. Because at least you're you're bringing something new to the conversation. You're using your art and entertainment to like make a cultural point. And uh, I think especially for like an entertaining popcorn movie, that's really impressive. This movie's scary. It's absolutely brutal. We know from the very beginning 
because of the twist where the the football hero gets killed immediately like we know that anyone is fair game including children which puts us off ease throughout the entire movie um it's action-packed it's funny the acting is all good and uh the special effects as leland said are truly some of the best of all time the only thing that um i think is pretty forgettable here is the score like i'm a music guy and a soundtrack guy so i i always comment on the music it's pretty forgettable here it's standard like 80s hollywood you know weepy score um but in 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 some ways everything about this movie is very like typical hollywood especially 80s movie beats but that's fine like we have to have movies that do those things well too right and so i agree four stars yeah i guess it's kind of like a blob in sheep's clothing huh (laughs) yeah yeah oh you know one more thing i want to mention the original blob ends after they freeze it they can't figure out how to kill it so they just lift it by helicopter into the arctic and drop it off in the hopes that it will forever stay frozen but yeah, if in, global temperature would rise the blob could threaten humanity again in in this one they say something about taking it to like the freezing plant or like there's somewhere local they can take it to store it yeah they they have a really fast one-off line about how they're storing it locally in the town and like a ice box or something i'm pretty sure the government would just take it <laughs> yeah uh, yeah especially when they realize that like all their their guys are dead right although it's not clear whether this is a mainstream government organization or it's some like cl- clandestine subset within the military industrial complex or something like they don't really tell us the difference no no <laughs> Either way, um, I, I can imagine that if this film were to come back in a, in a later generation, that maybe they would make it as like a pseudo sequel where, you know, global warming has now warmed the Arctic to the point where the blob can escape and start to cause havoc again. Or maybe a uh, right wing white nationalist would raid the building where it's being stored and unleash it on the community to to strike a blow against biden (laughs) like that would be the equivalent today i think but anyhow so that's that's it for the blob next week we're doing something totally different um we're going back to obscure low budget fodder and talking about the 1971 grindhouse cross-dressing anomaly oddity uh, sometimes Aunt Martha does dreadful things. Uh, this will be a first time watch for you as well, right, Leland? Of course. It's been a while since I've seen it. I, I don't remember it very well, but I remember it being odd and unique enough to warrant another watch and some conversation. And I love the title. So if you have not seen that, I think it's pretty easy to watch. I think it's on YouTube. Um, Check out Sometimes Aunt Martha Does Dreadful Things and join us next week. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares, where I post everything that we do. And um, 
Yeah, that's it for this week. Leland, do you have any last words? Thank you for your continued support. All right, sounds good. We will uh, see everyone next week to talk about Sometimes Aunt Martha Does Dreadful Things.